The curtain goes up and our play is beginning. We The Outline World Dispatch. It's Thursday, December 7th, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today, Zoe Beery visits Philadelphia to meet the man who's archiving hundreds of thousands of discarded records for future generations to listen to. Here's the dispatch. Culture. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Adrian. You recently went to Philadelphia. I did. It was my first time there. What'd you think? Um, well, I didn't see a lot of it. I spent the whole time in a pretty small office complex that is called George Blood Audio. And it's a number of rooms with a lot of really old machines for playing back different kinds of media. It's really cramped and it's really noisy and it's really cool. We work in 147 different audiovisual formats. We don't quite dumpster dive, but we'll hear a facilities going out of business. And anybody and everybody that I know that I come upon in the trade says, like, if you see tape machines, we will take them sight unseen. That's George Blood. He's been doing preservation and transfer work for almost three decades. And his small staff of engineers and librarians spend their days bringing remnants of the 20th century into the 21st. Uh, Places like museums, libraries, private companies and collectors send their obsolete media to George and his studio turns it into digital files, like this transfer of a reel-to-reel travel film. There are no automobiles allowed on the island, but you can go any place by horse and buggy. Right now, they're in the middle of one of the biggest jobs they've ever done, the Great 78 Project. It's a partnership with New York's Archive of Contemporary Music and the Internet Archive, which you may know by its URL, archive.org. And a lot of the material they're working with is in really bad shape. Cracks, broken discs, chips around the edges. Things have been played too many times badly. Scratches either because the needle ran across or the materials weren't handled properly. These are the sorts of things you have to deal with when you've been tasked with archiving over 200,000 78s, which are the thick, heavy records that came before the more popular LP album format, which is what you would buy in a record store now. 78s are named for their playback speed, 78 revolutions per minute, instead of an LP's 33 and a third. And instead of vinyl, which is plastic, they're made out of shellac, which is bug resin. A 78 can't hold a lot of sound, only between three and five minutes per side. But three million of those sides were recorded all over the world between 1898 and the mid-1950s, which means that 78s as a format hold a lot of information about what people cared about in the first half of the 20th century. And in many cases, the physical records are the only version of these sounds that exist. Things like Lessons for telegraph operators in Morse code. Or stories in many different languages. En el sucio rincón de una taberna fría y desmantelada. Field recordings. And self-help records. The record you are now hearing introduces you to Dr. Walter Robinson's famous method of revealing and developing hidden speaking powers. He has taught thousands of men, including myself and women, how to free themselves from self-consciousness and... And because they're on such an old format, it's all at risk of disappearing. As we get farther and farther from the time when any given format was dominant, the ability to reproduce those, the existence of the machines, the existence of working machines, people to service and keep those machines going, the spare parts, all of that is falling by the wayside. 
Georgia's studio is not the only one in the country that would be able to do this work. But he landed the Great 78 Project because he invented something that saves a lot of time archiving 78s, which were manufactured in unpredictable ways. But 78s aren't standardized for speed, equalization, or stylus size. Each of the labels is trying something a little different. So all of these factors are uh, interacting. And making it really hard to know what size needle to use, which is an important choice because the wrong one damages a record. And if that record has been played back multiple times with the wrong needle over many years, an archivist has to deal with all that damage when they choose their needle. So should they capture the record exactly as it is, damage and all? Unforgettable. Or try to balance that with a slightly more enjoyable listening experience. Unforgettable, though near or far. The normal way of doing stylus selection is to put a stylus in, listen to a bit of the disc, take it out, put another one in, listen to it. It takes a lot of time. Too much time to get through something like the Great 78 Project without totally losing it. So the archivist faces a tough decision. What is the one version of this sound that should be preserved forever? George's answer was to figure out a way not to have to choose. So we have here on the turntable four styli, on, uh, four cartridges and four tone arms that are recording simultaneously. So we put a different stylus in each tone arm and then we keep them all. So he built a machine that has four needles on a record at once? Yeah, it looks like a weird robot. Like they're just sort of gliding there perfectly smoothly, all doing exactly the same thing. They're all recording simultaneously on the same record. When that's done, when like the four needles are, are done doing their thing, one of George's archivists uploads all of the files onto the Internet Archive website so that people who are looking at it, whether they're just listening or they're a researcher or another archivist, can choose the file transfer that works best for whatever they're using it for. Okay, wait. So you said earlier that there are over 200,000 of these records that he's trying to preserve. Yes. Where did he get so many records? So... The original set of records that started this project off came from the Internet Archive itself. Since they're known for hosting so much old stuff, the guy who founded it, whose name is Brewster Kale, has just sort of slowly accumulated 78s over the years from museums or libraries, private collectors, anybody who has it and is like, oh, they like old stuff, maybe I'll give it to him. And because there was this problem with how long it takes to properly transfer a 78, he was just letting them sit in cold storage in San Francisco because it was going to be a nightmare to do it until he met George, who had this turntable that fixed the problem. And now he just ships a pallet of 78s to Philadelphia about once a month. After a little over a year of doing transfers, the project has gotten a pretty good cross-section of the kinds of things that were recorded onto 78s. There's nearly every genre of music that existed at the time, from some of the first Argentine tangos ever distributed, to Hawaiian music played by Hawaiian performers but marketed to white audiences. And while the music is nice to listen to, a lot of it has been digitized before, and the archive only includes it for the sake of completeness. 
it's not really what makes the Great 78 Project worthwhile. One collector had passed away and got the collection uh, from the family. As they were going through the collection, they found a lacquer disc, an instantaneous recorded disc. That collector was Jan Wallachus. He was a lifelong 78 enthusiast who hosted a polka show on a college radio station for almost 25 years. And this is a recording of Jan as a kid accompanying his mother on the accordion. Jan died in 2012, and his widow donated his 78 collection to the Archive of Contemporary Music. But she didn't know that it contained a recording of her husband as a child. We digitized this and then sent the original back to the family, repatriating this cultural artifact. Not just a bit of his history, but a way for the family to connect with this, you know, beloved, departed person. And these are the kinds of things that you happen upon as part of the, this mass digitization project. Jan's accordion solo isn't something that someone at a garage sale would want, and neither would 78 collectors. They spend their lives hunting for astronomically expensive or very rare platters, usually blues or classical. They wouldn't want this either. <laughs> a sound effects record from before movies had sound effects. Or this, a novelty song whose entire joke hinges on movies having sound being a new thing. Then the silent drama held its sway, okay. Now they squeak and squawk, that's why we say. I'm so sad and I'm so blue. And I'm feeling that way too. We can't sleep in the movies anymore. Or this, which is a charming reminder of some of the cultural values that were commercially viable while 78s were being produced. A boy is truth with dirt on its face. Wisdom with bubblegum in its hair and the hope of the future with a frog in its pocket. A girl is innocence playing in the mud, beauty standing on its head, and motherhood dragging a doll by the foot. And that's one of the less objectionable examples. Without an archiving project that makes no judgment on the value of the contents that it's saving, this evidence of what people liked to listen to or how they liked to express their misogyny or racism or homophobia would end up in a trash bin. So with things like this. What do you say they call that? A home run. If he ran like that at home, the landlord would break his lease in a minute. This terrible joke is from a 1918 comedy skit called A.B. at the Ball Game. It's a three-minute monologue about struggling to understand baseball, and it stars A.B. Kabibble, who was the main character in a comic strip called A.B. the Agent, which ran in newspapers across the U.S. in the first few decades of the 20th century. At the time, A.B. was one of the only Jews in pop culture who was not an anti-Semitic caricature. And for Jews who wanted to assimilate into American society, he was proof that they could succeed. Oi, oi, my eye, my eye is out. Who hit me? You said the ball hit me. Oi, oi, put the ball in your pocket. The AB disc is one of about three dozen entries so far in the Great 78 Project that are by or for Jews. One of George's engineers, Liz Rosenberg, transferred the collection. There was just a bunch of um, Yiddish and Jewish records all together, and there was a song about Purim, and I was like, Really? And then it was followed by a bunch of, like, joking, com like, comedy records about learning Yiddish, like, how to ask for more food at the table kind of things, like. A businessman is a gentleman with ulcers known as a ganze knacker. A ganze knacker. 
Aganse Knocket is a guy who refused to work for somebody else for 12 hours a day, so he opened his own place and now works 18 hours a day for himself. <laughs> This 1948 recording is from a series called Basic Yiddish, which features an American comedian named Sam Levinson delivering lessons in conversational Yiddish, although they wouldn't really be useful for somebody who is actually trying to learn the language. From children of Atik, you get Tzores. From grandchildren of Gesundense, you get Naches. But instruction isn't really the purpose here. In the decade before these discs were released, Nazis had murdered nearly half of the world's Yiddish speakers. And although there were plenty of American Jews who were fluent, they wanted to be more like A.B. the agent, assimilated. So basic Yiddish isn't for language learners. It's for a culture recovering from genocide that wants to connect with a piece of their history that had become a symbol of both tragedy and resilience. The experienced father knows how to combine different types for the best result. Zetz boom or in reverse, clop, hock, boom, zet. Why do we have to, to save these discs about teaching Yiddish? I mean, you can get textbooks for that. I mean, you can, you can probably get CDs and, and do that online. Why do we want to preserve these? Because the way the material is presented is representative of how that community was reaching out to others in the community or the wider world to say, this is who we are. We're here. And so it represents for that community a touch to their past, which I think we can all be empathetic to. The Internet Archive's 78 collection is about a quarter of the way digitized at this point, but the project just keeps growing as people have found out about it and donated their own collections. When it's done, it will be the world's largest collection of 78s. George is still going around to conferences to share his turntable, but he really likes to share it with the public, too, as he did last year at the Internet Archive's 20th anniversary party. Families that brought small kids who are, you know, getting close to bedtime who will come up and were playing music of things before their grandparents and watching them dance and just be inspired by, yeah, somebody felt this musically to write it, to perform it, and we put it on discs so that other people could experience this. And I've got six-year-olds dancing to foxtrots that they've never been exposed to before. There were record collectors there too, and other technical dorks who geeked out over the turntable. But seeing those kids dance to records that aren't too long for this world, that'll probably shatter before those kids can own a 78, that's what keeps George going through the next 150,000 discs. For as much fun as we have with the music, as much fun as I enjoy working with the Internet Archive team and the people here who are, are doing the great work, and you see, you met them, but to get out and these people I never would have otherwise met, listening to this music, it's where we realize that it's worth doing. Did I remember to tell you I adore you and I am living for you alone? Did I remember to say I'm lost without you? Zoe Berry is a writer based in New York. Her last story for the outline was about America's history of sterilizing prisoners. You were in my arms and that was all I knew. We were alone, we two. What did I say to you? Did I remember to tell you I adore you 
and pray forevermore. You are more. That's all for The Dispatch. If you like what you hear, we would love it if you subscribed to The Dispatch or told a friend about the show. You can find us on Twitter, where our handle is at Outline Dispatch. And we'd love to hear what you think. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Adrienne Jeffries. We'll be back on Monday with more. <laughs>